0: I going to invite you to turn with me in your copy of the Scripture this morning, to the book of Luke, chapter twenty-four. The book of Luke, chapter twenty-four. Um, not this weekend, but last weekend, my wife and I had the privilege of going with uh, Pastor Tom Bell and Jean to uh, the Living Word, and I was sitting there watching the uh, the uh, presentation and. Um, got to the resurrection scene. That always gets me a little jacked up. And as I'm watching this resurrection scene, I I hear the words of the scripture. They didn't necessarily say them that night, but I hear the words of the scripture, and these words have been echoed in my heart for over a week now. And the words are this, why are you seeking the living among the dead? Why are you seeking the living among the dead. You know, when we open up in, in Luke chapter 24, it is the greatest news of the Scripture. Did you know that? Luke chapter 24 is by far the greatest news of Scripture. The idea that Jesus is not here. He's not in this tomb. He's not dead. He's alive. And because of that, there's victory. See, I'm so glad that God died for my sins. I'm so glad Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty of blood for my sins. But He didn't stop there. And the victory that we have over sin and death, the victory we have when He walked out of that tomb on that Sunday morning. That's why we're here today. That's why we're here today. I don't know about you, that's why I'm here today. I'm here today because I serve a risen Savior. I didn't sign up for some religion. I didn't sign up for some thing just to do on Sunday morning and have a nice little social club gathering. I didn't sign up for that. I came today because I know he's alive. I came today. I give my life to the Lord in ministry, not because it seemed like a great occupation. I do it because I know he's risen. So let's look at this today in this passage Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Father, today I pray that we would hear the voice of God clearly this morning. God, help us as we search for living, as we search for life this morning. I praise you, Lord, and I thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the text that was in this passage in verse 5 is the one that's gripped my heart this week. Why do you look for the living among the dead? You know, I feel that's a concept that we often do in our society today. We look for life in dead things. We look for life in things that don't supply. We look for life in things that don't fulfill. I want us to look at this passage. I think there's three things that we can glean from this today that will help us in looking for life in Jesus, not in dead things. The first one is this. I believe as you look at this passage, you find that the women who were here and even the disciples, they were living in the past. They were living in the past. They were doing what they knew to do. All of this happened so fast. Could you imagine their week? On the Sunday pri- previous, Jesus is being paraded on a donkey. Everybody is shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is going to be awesome. This is like celebration week. This is going to be like inauguration week. This is going to be amazing. And then by the time midweek happens, Thursday happens, everything that they had been thinking got totally turned upside down. Thursday night, he gets arrested in a garden. He has this terrible trial that's kind of, it's a mock trial. It's not even real. And what happens is he gets sentenced to death and on the next day he dies. And all of this is just a whirlwind for them. And then the next day is the Sabbath day and they're, and they're thinking, oh my goodness, what in the world has just happened? It happened so fast, they didn't even have an opportunity to prepare embalming spices for Jesus' body. They weren't even allowed to do this in their culture. They couldn't do this on the Sabbath day. So here we are on Sunday, and now they're heading to the tomb. No doubt, they're feeling sorrow. I mean, after all, the Messiah, man, He was going to come, and He was going to overthrow the Romans. He was going to set up Israel's kingdom again. Every God-fearing Jew believed that was the case in those days. These women who came to the tomb, there's one thing I know about them. At least one of them had a past. Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb. She had been a prostitute in her future, in her earlier life, until she met Jesus, and Jesus changed her. But now she's got to be thinking, what's going on here what do i do next what happens now do i go is my past going to come back i know jesus changed my life and i put my hope and my trust in him but now he's dead he's dead i'm sure that she came to the tomb that day on that sunday morning when she got up and went that way she was heartbroken There were other women that were there, the mother of James and John, the two disciples. She's probably wondering now on her way to the tomb, I wonder if now my sons will be considered fugitives. I wonder if they're going to be considered outlaws because they chose to follow Jesus and now Jesus is gone, he's dead. And now what's going to happen to my boys? Did they make a decision to follow Jesus and it's going to come back to get them? You know, the past is a funny thing. Because the past has a way of both being positive and negative. You know, positive, we have positive things in the past from victories and memorials and things we look back on where we see how God's hand moved and we see great things that God did in our past. And, and it's awesome to have those things. And matter of fact, in the Old Testament, they told the Israelites to build those things. Every once in a while you say, hey, Put these stones together and make a memorial here. Put these here. Why? Because whenever they pass by, they wanted to remember what God did for them. And and I think that's a huge deal. I think that's very important that we do remember the positive things that God's done in our life. I think that's very valid. I, I think that in those times when you're struggling, those times when you're down, it's easy to remember back to the times that, man, God brought me through this and he can do it again. I've seen you move. The song says, You've moved the mountains and I believe, God. I'll see you do it again. There's faith building in that. Positive things. But there's also negative things when it comes to our past. Things that cause us to wonder, Man, God, could you ever forgive me? Things that make us think, man, those mistakes impacted my life in such a way. I can't even forgive myself. How could God ever forgive me? And we sit here and we think, and you think in those times, and you think of that past, and, and what ends up happening is in our lives, we get to the place where instead of coming to Christ and having victory over our past, we stay bound in those things. And we live in the past, And because of the hurt and the pain and, and the stuff and the things that were said and the things that were done, we never get past that. And so when we never get past that, we become enslaved to it and we never get true life, we never get true victory. Why? Because we have become to the place where we have entombed ourselves in the past. Oftentimes, we use the past as protection. Have you ever said this? I'm not going to let that happen again. I'm not going to let that happen to me again. Right? And I understand there are opportunities where we learn from the past. I think that's important, that we learn from past mistakes. But usually what happens when we say that is we're like, okay, I'm not going to let that happen to me again. And what do we do? We surround ourselves with walls, and we let nobody else in, and we say, no, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to experience that hurt again. I'm not going to experience that pain again. I know that firsthand. There was a time in my life, I I mentioned last week the blessings of Pastor Bell, Um, and I'm just going to quickly elaborate on that now. There's a time in my life when I went to go work with Pastor Bell, I had so many walls built up. That I I just, I wasn't going to let anybody in. I've been hurt. I've been in a place where I just didn't want to, I I wasn't going to go there. But over time, God began to work through him. God began to work in my situation. And even though I was encamped in this tomb, if you will, because there was no life in that. There's no life in that. Let me just tell you this. If you're putting up walls to keep other people out, if you're putting up walls to keep things uh, to where you feel safe and secure, can I just tell you there's no life in that. God has called us to build relationships. This whole thing, this whole word, this whole Bible is about relationship. It's about relationship with God. It's about relationship with others. Nowhere in here does it say build up walls so you don't get hurt. Nowhere in here where you'll find something that says, you know what, you've got to look out for number one, numero uno. Nowhere. What it says here is this love your enemies. It says, blessed are those who persecute, who are persecuted for his name's sake. It says, trials last for the night, sorrows last for the night, but joy. Joy comes in the morning. The problem is, we get so bound by those things. But today I want to tell you God can call life out of your tomb, call you and bring life to you from your tomb. They were scared for their lives, man. In this passage of Scripture, the disciples were in hiding. They probably were wondering, man, did we make a mistake here in following this Jesus? But God always has the final word. And he can raise back to life and give you love and grace and forgiveness and be able to move forward. One of the prime examples of that is Peter. Peter was a guy who denied Christ three times. If anybody probably felt like a failure, it was him. Because he was the one that just moments before he even did that said, Lord, I'll die for you, man. I'm not going, I'm not going anywhere. I will go all the way. And Jesus looks at him and says, hey, man, before the chicken crows three times, you're going to deny me. And he did. The Bible says he went out and wept bitterly. Man, they tore him apart. And now Jesus is dead. All of a sudden, the news comes that he's back to life, and, and Peter meets him, and then they have this moment on the shore when maybe your passage of Scripture says, I believe this moment's in John, and, and this beautiful reconciliation of the past, where Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. Lord, you know I love you. And then he gives him a commission. Hey, feed my sheep. Jesus in that passage of scripture is calling Peter back to life. That thing that was dead inside of him, that hurt in that past, that thing that he just couldn't seem to get over, Jesus is saying, Peter, I call you back to life. And Today, maybe there's something in your life that God is looking at you and you're just, you find yourself, man, I'm never gonna let that happen to me again. I'm not gonna put myself out there ever again. I'm gonna stay right here because it's safe in here. And while it might be safe, God never called us to live safe lives. He called us to be risk takers. And he's calling you to come out. Secondly, is this they were living in their perception. I don't know if you know, we tend to live by what we see. We like the things we can see and touch and feel. We, they, they saw, what they saw was that their hope was gone. They saw that the, the person that they had put their trust in was up on a cross being brutally murdered. They saw what their, that their dreams were dying right before their eyes. They couldn't get past what they were seeing. But aren't you glad that God calls us to live our life by faith, not by sight? I think we miss so much that God could want to do in us because we only go by what we see. What in your life have you experienced God do even when you couldn't see it? Was it a financial miracle? Was it a healing in somebody or you? The Bible is full of moments and miracles where people couldn't see it, but God did it. I love it. I, just, I was just thinking of a few, and one, some that came to me was the Red Sea with the children of Israel. I don't know if you know this story or not, but they're up, the Israelites, had, uh, Pharaoh had just let them go, and they're probably just, Woo you know, whatever dance they would do, you know, that's kind of my dance. I don't know. Um, you know, it's one of those things we talked about, uh, you know, my wife and I talk about this idea of dancing, and I, I'm a good slow dancer because all I have to do is this. And I can talk Barry White to or hey, baby. <laughs> I hope you know I love you, baby. Right? And I can get by with that, right? But if there's any other dancing that has to be done, my feet don't move. My arms are great, but my feet don't move. So anyway, I don't know where I got off on that. Red Sea, that's where we're at. Yep. So you get to the, they get to the Red Sea and, Man, they're excited, they're looking out and they see this vast sea in front of them and all of a sudden they hear chariots and horses and everything coming behind them and what they see is death because they know, oh man, Pharaoh done changed his mind and now we're in trouble. And so they go and they, 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 they're like, Moses, what are we going to do? We, don't, we can't see a solution to this issue. What does Moses do? He just says, God, I don't know. And he just raises up his hands. And then God parts the Red Sea. Now, the Red Sea is not Will's Creek, okay? It's a big body of water, right? It's so big that the Bible says that whenever they got to the other side and he dropped his hands down, what happened is all the Egyptians drowned in the Red Sea. So it's like significant water. That's cool. You know, another passage I look at is like the three, the three teenagers in the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. That's the way I told it to my kids because we were going to bed. Abednego. Um, and, you know, the thing is, is those three guys, what an amazing thing because they didn't see the salvation of their God. They didn't know if God was going to do anything. This crazy king had erected this huge statue of himself and said, everybody bow down to it. And the horns blow and everybody, but these three guys bow down to it. They're looking around they're thinking, man, these, what are you doing? These are Jewish people too. There's Jewish people there too that are bowing down to this statue. And these three guys are like, what are you doing? I'm not bowing down. And with the, the thought process of going into a fiery furnace, and they made this classic line, it's probably one of my favorite, I have a lot of favorites, but it's one of my favorite lines in scripture. He says this, he says, even my God is able to deliver us from your hand, O King, but even if he chooses not to, I love that, I'm not going to bow, I'm not going to limit God based on the circumstances I'm seeing right now, because I know my God's bigger. You know the Bible talks a lot about faith. The Bible talks a lot about faith. You know, when you get to this passage of scripture, these these ladies they they couldn't wrap their minds about what Jesus said. You know, the angel reminded them. Don't you remember he said he was going to die, um, deliver the sinners, going to be crucified, and on the third day raised. they weren't thinking about that. They were full of grief and sorrow. They weren't thinking about They couldn't remember that. I'm not going to ask you how many of you forgot things, right? No show of hands, but no finger point either, right? We forget things. After all, what they had saw, they were, they were coming to grieve what they saw. They didn't come to the tomb to celebrate. That wasn't their, on their mind even at all. They came to grieve, I wonder how many times we're left grieving because we're always wanting to just walk by what we see and not by faith. The Bible talks a lot about faith. Romans chapter 4, 13 through 25 talks about the faith of Abraham. Think about this guy's faith. It's amazing. Here's a guy who God calls to leave his family, to leave everything he knows, and to go to a land that you've never seen. But I'm going to tell you where it's at. And then not only does God, he doesn't stop there. He he takes him out and he shows him the stars in the sky and he says, hey, listen, Abraham, see all these stars? That's how many descendants you're going to have. How many of you know Abraham had to have faith to take a step away from home to go to the promised land? Abraham had to have faith in God that says, yeah, even though God, I'm not going to see this. Abraham never saw with his physical eyes all of the descendants. He never saw the Messiah come through his bloodline. He never physically saw all those things but the faith of Abraham Bible says that the faith of him was something that made him a friend of God because he trusted the Lord even things he couldn't see and the Bible goes on to say Romans chapter 1 uh, verse 17 says the righteous will live by faith you live by faith wouldn't that be a cool existence to live by faith that you could trust God for anything and everything Mm. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we live by faith and not by sight. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, which is most people would consider the definition of faith. Faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Yet with all of these words and all these examples, we still have this issue of living our lives on the basis of faith. You know, there are times in my life when I, you know, you ever walk through your house at night and you can't see anything? Your eyes aren't adjusted? How many of you know that's sometimes difficult, especially if you have kids and they leave Legos and Lincoln Logs out? Man, those things, whew. I'm telling you what, those are are like devil's pitchforks when you're walking on the floor. They're awful. They hurt bad. But pretty much... Most of the time, maybe not all the time, but most of the time, I know where things are in my house. Have you ever been to somebody else's house? And it's dark, and you have to get up and try to make your way around, and you don't know where anything is? My uncle has a house in in St. Louis, and he always puts us in the basement when we stay there. The only thing with the basement is there's very, very little light in the basement and so when you get up in the middle of the night it's like this it's literally like okay there's the table there's the wall you know like I don't know where I'm going I hope I don't hit anything and you know when you're confident you take confident steps don't you when I know where I'm going man I'm just like okay all right there's the laundry basket she left there last night there's I'm kidding I know where the doors are. I know where things are. It's great. But when you don't know, I take a little bitty steps. I mean, I'm like this kind of creeping around, trying to feel around. Why? Because I don't want to hit my knee into a dresser, I don't want to stub my toe at the end of the bed. I don't know if you see where I'm connecting this with. But there are times in your life that God is wanting to take you to things that you haven't seen yet. To unknown things. But to get there, you can't go by what you see or what you know. You have to only be able to walk by faith in Jesus. There are ministries, there are opportunities, there are people, there are things that God wants to do in your life, but he's waiting for you to say, I'm not going to just walk by what I see. I'm going to trust you with everything, because that's what walking by faith does, is it trusts God with everything, and when you do that, that's where the amazing happens. That's where God moves mountains. The third thing today is this, and that's living with perspective, perspective. I think this is something that as a society we do a lot. We look for living things among dead things. We look for living things among dead things. We look for things to fill that void in us. People as a, as a whole look for things to want to fill the void that's inside of them and and, and sometimes we as Christians can even get caught up in that too and, and our priorities kind of get out of whack and, and we kind of do those things and we tend to look in the wrong places. We want our lives to be significant but we are looking in the wrong places for it and in reality we're looking for the living among the dead. You know, I brought up a couple of examples here today. A um, little visual for you. Um, many people turn to a life of Alcohol, drugs, things that give you a buzz—they look for the living among the dead, and they try to fill that void with this stuff. I want to share this. I found this. uh, I found it amazing. Um, It's pretty powerful, really. It says this: "I am more powerful than the combined armies of the world. I have destroyed more men than all the wars of all the nations." I have caused millions of accidents and wrecked more human homes than all the floods, tornadoes, and hurricanes put together. I am the world's slickest thief. I steal billions of dollars. I find my victims among the rich and the poor alike. I am relentless, insidious, and unpredictable. I bring sickness, poverty, and death. I give nothing but take all. I am your worst enemy. I'm alcohol. You know, a lot of times we try to fill our lives with things that have momentary pleasure. And whether that is alcohol or any other drug or anything of that nature, can I just tell you today, people are looking to fill that void. Al- drug use is in, in our area is running crazy. In the state of Ohio, it's running crazy. Why is that? Because people are trying to fill the void of their heart. with substances. Trying to fill the void with something else. And as with any drug, false highs and crashing lows are meant to be the life that we live. God is wanting to take you in a relationship with Him is better than any buzz, and better than any high. You've probably heard this saying: "There's no high like the Most High." You know, people also use they use sports and entertainment as a uh, as a, something to fill the void, try to fill that hole. We consume ourselves. With what athletes say and what celebrities say. We have made them our influencers, and if you will, our culture treats them as quote unquote gods. We're a society that is the most entertained society in all the world, and we are in the American culture have spent more money on entertainment than any other place in the world. We dump billions of dollars into this industry. Billions of dollars. And we pay somebody that can throw a football 20-something million dollars a year. And we pay people that catch a football $11 million plus a year. And I'm not slamming football. I love sports. Those of you that know me know I, I, I love sports. I love sports. I do. But we have to be careful, church. That's a slippery slope. Because it messes with our priorities. I can't let this fill the void. I can't let this consume me. I can't spend all my time, talent, treasure, and energy on this. That tells me if I do that, that tells me my... my, my Priorities are out of whack. Again, I, I love this. It's fun. We've done it as a family. My kids, man, we love to play catch in the yard. We, we love to do those kind of things. That's fun. It's great. But can I tell you, watch yourself. Watch yourself. We dump more into, into that than anything. Another thing, and this is a good thing, it's my family. Aren't they cute? I love them. They're amazing. I love those people in that picture. I'd do anything for those people in that picture. I'm telling you that right now. But can I also tell you? They can't fill that void hole in my heart either. They can't fill that void either. There is nothing wrong with family. There is nothing wrong with having people close to you who surround you and build you up, who love you and support you. But if I'm expecting them to fill that in me, that's not a spot that they're capable of doing. They can't do that. They're going to let me down. I'm going to let them down. They're not perfect. In reality, they are far too small to accomplish any kind of feat like that. It's only when I fill my life with Jesus that all of these relationships take on a whole new significance in me. I can't be the husband I need to be without God. I can't be the father that God wants me to be without Him in my life. If he is not foremost in the forefront, I can't fulfill those roles as pastor. I can't fulfill those roles as friend. I can't do that. Why? Because I don't know how in myself. It's only through Jesus that he allows this great love and this great compassion to come into our lives and be able to say, because he lives in me, then I can be an example to those I love. I can love them in a greater way. Because of the power of love and the power that gives life that I say, you know what, God, I love you and my motives are pure before you because if it's just me doing this, can I just be honest? Can we all just have a moment of honesty here for a minute? If it's just you doing this, your motives will become selfish and self-centered because all of us We'll be looking for things that benefit us. Our ways are not His ways. Your world will say this. Our world says this. I will love you if you. It's always based on circumstances. If you do this, I'll love you if you. But God says this. I love you even though you. Do you hear the difference? It's not just if you. I love you even though you've sinned. I love you even though marriage is built on conditions. Only work when I'm satisfied and fulfilled. But a God-based marriage will think of the other person first. It'll meet the needs of the other person first. It'll love God first. And whenever I do that, then I'm able to love my spouse. Then I'm able to love my family. Family dynamics are sometimes crazy. I get that. But I can't be the dad they need me to be without God first filling my life. You know, the other thing that's up here is this helmet. You know, we work. And believe me, I believe in work. The Bible talks about several places where work is important. Don't be lazy. It talks about that. It talks about not being lazy and sluggard. As a matter of fact, Paul says this, if you don't work, you don't eat. I like to eat, so let's work, right? But some people bury themselves in their work. They bury themselves in their busyness, and it becomes the thing that consumes us. And we find all of these things, whether that be from entertainment and, and issues, from work to family to other stuff like drugs and different things, we, all of us are finding this. If God is not the first place in your life, what begins to happen is you are then living, looking for living things in dead things. These are dead things. They have no life in them. There's only one place where you can have life. Jesus said, I came that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly. When when Adam was formed from from the dust of the earth and God formed him, he wasn't alive until God did this amazing thing. He breathed into him. And that breath of God filled that void in his heart. And that breath of God wants to do the same thing to you today. Why do we look for living things Among dead things. Today I'm telling you where you can have life. And it's found only in the person of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads please? Father, today, I pray. Right now, God. Lord, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Would you open up yourself to us today? In Jesus' name. You're here today, and heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, and we're giving you privacy in this moment with the Lord. I ask you that same question why are you looking for living among the dead? Why are you looking for living among the dead? Some of you because of hurts from your past are consumed by past failures, by past disappointments, by past pain, by the shame of the things that you've either done. And God says, listen, those things have become a tomb to you. And you need to renounce those things and come to the life giver. And hear him say, just like he said to Lazarus, come forth. Out of that sickness, out of that tomb, out of that those grave clothes, and say, listen, I'm here for you. Don't let your past keep you from what I've got for your future. Some of you here in this room, maybe you're here today and you're having a hard time living by faith. And because of that, you've not seen... God, really do something great in your life because every time the Holy Spirit prompts you or speaks to you, you say, God, you've got to show me. God, I need to see. God, I want to see with my eyes. And God says, listen, I'm not asking you to see it with your eyes. I'm asking you to walk by faith. And to be honest, that's been super difficult for you. And maybe you're here this morning and You've been looking for life among dead things. Today, I want to introduce you to Jesus. He's the life giver. Or maybe you're here today and, man, you came to Christ at one time, but you have noticed yourself filling your, your life with more of these things, and these things have become more important. They've become more important than God. The dead things of the world, they've become the thing that you run to they become the thing that brings you momentary relief and you're looking for trying to fill the hole of your life with those things why are you looking for the living among the dead father right now in Jesus name I pray help us respond to you this morning If you're here and you're consumed by your past, those past things, and you talked about it, I'm not going to mention it at length, but that's you, and you said, Pastor, I want you to pray for me today. Would you pray? Pray I get through this. I've been hurt. You don't know I've been hurt. Yes, I do. I've been there. I've even lived in the tomb. I even know what that's like. And can I just tell you there's no victory there? There's no hope there. Oh yeah, you might be safe for a minute, but there's no life in that. God says, listen, will you trust me to step past your past and move into a new life that I want to start with you today? If that's you this morning, would you slip up your hand to the Lord right now? That's me. i want to move past my past. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. I'm not going to be defined by the things that people have done, by the things people have said. I'm not going to be defined by who I uh, by these walls that I've I've encompassed around me. I'm not going to shut the tomb door just yet. I'm going to come out to Jesus. Hallelujah. Maybe you're here today and you have a hard time with this idea of perception and faith by what living by not by sight, but by faith. And you say, Joe, Pastor Joe, I just have a hard time wrapping my mind around God, and can I just be honest? We all do. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're higher. They're above us. But today you'd say, you know what, Pastor Joe, I want to start living my life by what God says. I want to start living my life by what my spiritual eyes could see. I want to start living with vision. I want to start living with not just human physical vision. I want to live with spiritual vision of what God wants to do in my heart. If that's you today, would you slip up your hand to the Lord? And that's tough. Yeah. Hands are across the room. Thank you, Jesus. Finally today, you're trying to fill that hole in your life with dead things maybe at one point you gave your heart to the Lord maybe one time you were man, you, he was the most important thing in your life but today you're, you find yourself having him play second fiddle to some of these other things why are you looking for living things among dead things God wants to do something great in you and you be honest and you say Pastor Joe I need to reprioritize I need to put God first I need to get God back in the first place of my life if that's you, would you slip up your hand? Yes, I see that hand. Yes, yes. Thank you. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Thank you, God. You're so good. Just stand to your feet? I'm just going to ask you to grab the hand of the person next to you real quick. We're going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now that, that, that across this room, God, there are those that raise their hand, that, God, they need to get rid of the dead things. They need to bring the priorities back into alignment. They need to come back and focus their life back on you again. Right now, Lord, I pray that you would hear our cry. God, that you would hear us offer. Lord, and you, your grace is so good. Your forgiveness is so amazing. And so, God, today I pray, let us be enamored by you, Lord. Touch our hearts this morning. God, forgive us from those things. Begin to... Tell tell God those things and what they are. God, forgive me of, of putting this in front of you. And Whatever this is, the Holy Spirit's already spoke to your heart. You responded by raising your hand. Whatever that is, would you just give that to the Lord today and just say, God, forgive me of this. God, forgive me. God, I want to put you first. Father, today I pray for those who are still hurt and wounded from their past. God, the things that were meant to destroy them have backed them up into a tomb and have lived and and Lord, they've they've become lifeless. They've become, Lord, kinda incapable of stepping out and doing other things because they've been so hurt that it just makes them want to back down and just kinda put up these walls and it becomes the shrine. God, I pray, call them out of those tombs today. I pray, Lord, that today, as they begin to forgive those who have spoken against them, as they begin to call out, Lord, even by name, and pray for and say, Lord, I forgive this person. God, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would just flood their hearts, that He would flood their life, God, today. Help us to know, God, that we are so much more important. We mean so much to you. You've called us to come out and live. Father, I pray you'd help us to walk by faith. Help us, God, to not just depend on what we physically see, but God, give us vision for what you want to do. Give us vision, oh God, for the things that you have in store. Use us, God, we pray. Use us to reach our community. Use us to reach... Our friends and our family, use us, God. Fill us up with you. God, we're looking for living things, and the only living thing that I see as I read Scripture is you. You are life. and Life comes from you. So, God, I, I set my heart, I set my mind, I set my life toward being revitalized every day by your life. And I thank you, Jesus, that you're faithful and you're good. God, you're so awesome. We praise you, God, today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here's some action steps, all right? This week, here's what I want you to do. If you're one of those people that were caught up with the past, here's what I want you to do. This week, I want you in your prayer time, I want you to pray for the person that hurt you. I want you to pray for the circumstances that tripped you up. And as you begin to pray, God, you're going to see, you're going to feel this spiritual kind of release as you begin to pray for and as you begin to love on and you begin to bring them before the Lord and ask God and say, God, now please, I forgive them in my heart. Help me, God, to move past. And I'd like to say that tomorrow when you pray, it'll all be over, but it may not. So keep doing it. Keep trusting in the Lord. Action step number two. I believe God's going to ask. I want you to pray in your prayer time. I want you to ask God, God, give me some vision for what you see. Help me see people the way you see people. Help me to see my circumstances and what you want me to do. What you see, not just what I see with my physical eyes, but how you see it. And finally, some of you may have to go home and make a list, a priority list. You may have to come to some of these things that are dead things, and you may have to move them around a little bit so that Jesus gets back up on top. Whatever your action step is, I challenge you to do that this week. And I guarantee that if you'll do those things, you'll begin to see a change. There'll be a new thing. You'll start to feel more life than you've ever felt in your whole entire life because you'll grow in your walk with God by it. Amen?